freedom. We all say we believe in this, and no one is out there saying down with that sort of thing. But how does the Bible define freedom, and how do Christian fans of fantasy find this virtue reflected and challenged in our favorite fictions? With both of us, Zach and I, taking to the free roads this July, we're recording a different sort of episode today. I am flying solo, taking over the studio and launching a show about Galatians 5.13 and one truth that all heroes must follow. With great freedom comes great responsibility. Welcome back to the Free State of Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world that Jesus calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of lorehaven.com, author and speaker. I also co-wrote the nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent. And this is episode 120, How Can Christians Enjoy Biblical Freedom in Fiction and Imagination? Yes, as promised, I'm still thinking about freedom after last week's episode. Zach and I both interviewed uh, Colin Samuel about the alien issue once more, so it was a bit of an Independence Day theme there. But I thought we'd go maybe a little more introspective this time. I'm still snacking on the Independence Day leftovers. Uh, there's half of a grilled hot dog in my fridge and some potato chips on top of the fridge and some potato salad in the fridge. Uh, we will, uh, we'll, I'll share those later on as part of the concession stand. So I'm not just thinking about food, but also freedom and the other gifts that people enjoy, not just in the United States where we are based, uh, but around the world, uh, because certain ideas about freedom have spread uh, thanks to our common ancestry as humans and our common heritage, at least in Western nations. We have ideas about uh, democracy, liberalism, uh, representation, self-government, all of that stuff that can get uh, you know more political, a little bit more social, but of course, being that this is fantastical truth. I'm hoping to take those ideas and apply them specifically to the Christian fans quest to enjoy fantastical stories. Often we say to ourselves and to others, hey, we are free to enjoy these stories. Uh, we are free in Christ uh, to uh, enjoy stories that sometimes Christians have frowned upon, that sometimes Christians have cast rules against. But are we really? And for what purpose are we given this freedom? How do we define this freedom? I think that some people do want to define freedom a bit wrongly. We may accidentally smuggle some wrong or unbiblical notions into this idea of freedom. So how can we use freedom rightly to enjoy fantastic imagination and avoid misusing the idea of freedom to justify irresponsible use of stories or even plain patterns of sin? Let's go into that a little bit more in depth after we do our concession stand. But first, we're going to go to our first sponsor for this episode, this segment is sponsored by Enclave Publishing, the publishers of Sarah Ella's new upcoming novel, The Wonderland Trials, which is on sale today. You can get all of the links and more information in the show notes, including this back cover preview. Solve the clues, face your fears, survive the trials. All Alice Little wants is to escape her normal life in Oxford and find the parents who abandoned her 10 years ago. But she gets more than she bargained for when her older sister Charlotte is arrested for having the infamous Wonder Gene, the key to unlocking the curious Wonderland reality. Soon Alice receives a rather cryptic invitation to play for Team Heart in this year's annual and often deadly Wonderland Trials. Now she has less than 24 hours to find her way into Wonderland where nothing is impossible or what it seems. The stakes are raised when she discovers players go missing during the trials each year. 
Will she and her team solve the clues and find the missing players? Or will betrayal and distrust win, leaving Alice alone in a world of her own? Follow the White Rabbit into this topsy-turvy fantasy where players become prey, a sip of the wrong tea might as well be poison, and a queen's ways do not always lead one where they ought to go. This is book one of the Curious Reality series from Enclave Publishing. It's also available in audiobook from Oasis Audio. Get those links in the show notes for episode 120 and, of course, at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. By the way, we actually reviewed this book unrelated to the sponsorship at Lorehaven. Had an advanced review just a few weeks ago. One of our top slogans from that review was, although indebted to a classic, the Wonderland Trials is inventive and colorful in its own right abundantly able to charm and to intrigue. All right, from there, why don't you put on an Oasis audio book and sample from the concession stand. It is uh, newly refreshed from our cookout last weekend here at the Lorehaven Studios. We got some leftover burgers, got some hot dogs, got some sausages, got some salad, and of course, some sparklers and chips and, you know, whatever your subculture, if you're in the United States, uh, uses to celebrate the 4th of July. Well, here's the first concession. Uh, given that I am solo running the show, I'm guessing this one will feel a little bit more personal. I don't have Zach here to bounce off of, and I think that contributes to a really amazing podcast each time. Let's see how I do. But do note that, of course, uh, it will be a lot more about my experiences and not so much the uh, shared experiences or the comparisons that Zach and I often make when we are together. By the way, uh, I'm not going to attempt uh, doing some systematic theology or counseling or anything like that. A lot of the observations I make here, uh, particularly when I talk about uh, Christians who are sharing their own tragic backstories, real tragic backstories sometimes, uh, with freedom that's been abused, uh, some of that is just my observation. Of course, your mileage may vary. You have undoubtedly seen different stories and had different experiences. Part of me, though, does want to engage a little secular philosophy, uh, what I know, all the materials uh, from which the Founding Fathers drew to put together America and uh, your nation's founders may have uh, referenced to put together your nation. Uh, stuff about liberty and justice, all that sort of thing. Um, I know a little about that on background, uh, but even if I knew more, I don't think I would go into all of that here, given that it is fantastical truth, not sociopolitical nation-forming truth. I'm just going to assume the parallels, by the way, uh, between things like biblical feasting. Uh, that's kind of a metaphor that I'll be drawing from here. Uh, comparing that with other good gifts that God has given people, like the gift of creative imagination. We've gone into this in previous episodes of Fantastical Truth. I think to sum up, it's enough to say here that we know from Scripture that God has originally created his earth, his universe, to be good. He has filled it with good gifts like natural wonders and the gift of creativity and other gifts that reflect God's image back to him. These gifts he has uniquely bestowed on human beings from the very beginning. Those include food, marriage, the responsibility of cultivating the earth, and creative imagination. All of these are not just to make humans look really great, but to make humans look a little bit like God, reflecting his glory, reflecting his communicable attributes. Try to say that three times fast. That whole point, of course, is at the back of everything that Lorehaven does. We want to do things for God's glory, but of course, you cannot talk about these things without also seeing the fact that mankind is now fallen. We are a fallen people. We are fallen in sin, according to Genesis 3, and that sin starts in our hearts and works its way outward to our exercise of the gifts and the other things that God has given us. Sin corrupts all of these things. Uh, you can't just talk about God's glory without talking about sin. By the way, I do apply this theme of freedom to imagination, but I know it has broader applications. Uh, this actually may be a good episode, even if you're thinking about another issue, like, you know, for example, 
social drinking or feasting, uh, not just as a metaphor, but actual feasting. I mean, Christians have debated these things, uh, often in very personal contexts, for quite a while. Uh, this will be just my small contribution uh, to that conversation. Finally, as I said, uh, this may feel very personal. I'm going to challenge all of us about this issue, including myself, because I am certainly not above uh, the controversy, uh, some of the struggle about how do you exercise freedom? How do you follow this and define this according to God's word and not just as a means of self-expression or self-identity? Uh, this gets really important when you're talking about stories because stories, of course, are so personal to us. From there, let's go to our key verse for this. And I hesitate even calling it a key verse. I almost want to say, okay, we're actually going to be talking about all of the book of Galatians today. Uh, but if you open up the context too widely, you'll be talking about all of the epistles or all of the Apostle Paul's writings or all of the New Testament or all of the Bible. Uh, we'll have to telescope down to at least Galatians 5, the surrounding context for the key verse, which is Galatians 5.13. Here's what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, quote, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Again, that is from Galatians 5.13. Hey, unless you're driving or something, uh, you know, crack open a Bible, at least to Galatians 5. Uh, we've got a screen cap, I think, for this show, uh, but you'll want to see all of the material. I'll reference it a little bit as we move into chapter 1, which I've titled for this discussion, Let's not ask about storytelling. Why shouldn't I do this? So I'm, I'm going to suggest that actually asking that question is the wrong question. Well, why shouldn't I do this? Why shouldn't I like this story? Why shouldn't I do this thing? Uh, let's go into why I am calling out that particular question. I think this is where it does get really personal here. So stand by. I might be meddling. But just so you know, I'm meddling first with myself, not only in the past, but in the present, and I'm sure in the future as well. I'm meddling with me. I'm meddling with us all. And I think that's just because scripture has meddled with us first. I see a lot of this thought, not only in others, but certainly in myself. And that's where I'm going to start. I hope you all don't mind if I share a story about me and, oh, here it is again, the uh, Harry Potter uh, series. It seems to come up a lot on the podcast, and I've commented about that more wryly before. Uh, Christian fantasy fans like to talk about Harry Potter a lot, no matter what side you end up on that. Uh, in this case, it's not so much about the series. I don't want to let the topic get away with me, but it's just a good conversation starter. It's a bit of a litmus test for what we believe about discernment and the purpose of fantasy. You can always get to those bigger questions by starting with the smaller question. Hey, what do you think about Harry Potter? Uh, in my case, I will admit I am at least a casual fan. I've read all the books, seen all the movies, uh, read the books maybe you know, two or three times each, maybe. Uh, the last time I think actually was uh, reading out loud with my wife. And by the way, I think it was actually, was it Thanksgiving Eve? It was a Thanksgiving Eve or a Thanksgiving day when I was reading the last chapters of the final book. And uh, there's a lot of yelling because it's the big showdown. And there's a surprising amount of plot exposition there at the showdown because you know, it's a uh, spoiler alert. It's uh, the bad guy and the hero uh, finally coming to blows. And we need to answer all the questions in one very long chapter with a lot of shouted dialogue with a lot of people watching. So it's a little different from the movie. And some of those voices, I try to read the voices out loud, are really hard to do. So I just remember that Thanksgiving getting a really scratchy voice, uh, trying to read this out loud to my wife who had not read the books before. But I had read the books before. 
And the first time I read them, it was more silent and maybe arguably a little bit sneakier. That is because I would dare to confess maybe that there was a time when I read the Harry Potter books a little bit more sinfully than I should have. I'm just reviewing that wording though a little bit more. Am I trying to justify myself? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, the fact is though, I, I probably did this with more sin than the usual expected amount of sin lingering in my heart. I'm not trying to be too kind to myself here. I'm not trying to be unkind to myself because frankly, I'm trying to remember. I was trying to think of an example while putting the notes together for this show of when I may have abused Christian freedom. Uh, the fact is, I'm sure that there were good motives mixed in there, but I can't help but wonder what led me to start reading those books. And the fact is, is that back in, when did I read these? Embarrassingly late, I would say. I think I read them more in the mid-2000s, maybe. I know it was before the seventh book had come out, but at that point, all six of them through Half-Blood Prince had come out. So I just binge read the first six books and then got in line at the library to read uh, book number seven. I think it was like, you know, 500 something place in line to get the book and actually still got it pretty quickly. They must have ordered a, a truckload of those things to loan out to eager fans of which I was just one of the latest. Anyway, I think I started reading the books at least partly motivated by the fact that there was uh, what I could call an evangelical mystique about the books. Ooh, Harry Potter. That's that evil witchcraft book. That's the book where Harry goes around killing stuff. That's the book where there's probably reincarnation and actual spells. And I mean, there were lots of lies, frankly, that were told about the Harry Potter books and some legitimate cautions all at once. So don't reject one or the other just because you found out that one or the other was true. It was kind of a mixed bag, at least in the retelling in evangelical culture. The point is, it created what I think was a mystique. This is the latest, greatest popular cultural thing best avoided if we don't know too much about it. So a lot of Christians did. And to this day, a lot of Christians do. And if you're one of them, God bless you. I'm not trying to challenge you with this. Just challenge myself because I knew about the mystique and yet I read the books anyway. And I seem to recall that I may have been reading them more sneakily than I should have. And yet the scripture says, let not what you regard as good be thought of as evil. Uh, that's elsewhere in uh, the epistles. I think it's in the book of Romans. That's what the apostle Paul is saying. Uh, I don't know whether I regarded this series as good. Could I have known before I read it? I'm not sure. Uh, it was still fairly early days of the internet and I hadn't read a whole lot about it that I can recall. I do know I was not trying to read the books to learn witchcraft. I was not trying to read the books as a rebellious exercise of freedom in that way, but was I reading them as an expression of, well, those legalistic Christians, they can't tell me what to do. And if I did have that motive, at least in part, was I doing a sinful expression of freedom? Open question here. Open question. Uh, again, I think I had mixed motives and ended up going in a better direction there. I can now say this is sort of a, a spiritual retcon. Maybe I can now say, OK, you know, I can now enjoy these books with a clean conscience. I can enjoy them knowing that I'm not sinning any more than usual. I'm not wasting my time. They are not taking away from my commitments to my God, my family, my church, my job, all of those things. And I certainly know that uh, unlike some people, I am not tempted towards dark magic. I'm not tempted towards the kind of idolatrous uh, use of freedom uh, that makes me want to use spells or sorcery or anything else, even personal identity to control my world. I, in, in my better moments, I'm perfectly happy letting the actual creator of the world control his world with me as one of the supporting cast. Jesus is the hero. 
I'm not trying to cast spells in order to guarantee a better future or change my nature or anything like that. Anyway, good motives there, I think. And I really appreciate the grace of God then going back and maybe just uh, making this a redemptive pursuit of freedom, uh, at least in retrospect. And I use that as some encouragement because even if maybe you're enjoying fantasy or magic or stories with violence or horror or something like that with mixed motives, I I just want to encourage you like, no, you shouldn't uh, avoid asking yourself the questions. Am I doing this for the right reason or am I trying to abuse my freedom for the indulgence of the flesh? I think we do need to ask those questions. But when we ask them, I think that we can find hope in the gospel. Yes, Christ will forgive the sinful motives. And although you may have to put that thing away, uh, you may have to forgo that freedom. Uh, Sometimes after a break, maybe you get to keep the thing uh, and and yet not sin any more than usual. I don't know. I don't know your case. Uh, You don't know my case. Uh, The people who are closest to you, they ought to be the ones who are helping out with your case. That's how we're supposed to help one another. Anyway, personal story aside. Uh, enough about me. Let's talk about other people. <laughs> I don't know if it's you. I've just noticed that in some of these scuttlebutt uh, that I see among Christian fans, uh, they seem to have a more a wide open view of freedom. Uh, I've mentioned some good questions to ask kind of in passing, uh, but a lot of these questions I've seen are not the types of questions we ought to be asking. Uh, for example, and I may limit this maybe to some discussion that I've seen among aspiring Christian authors who are just getting their feet wet uh, with this idea of creating fantasy and what is it for? You know, how can I use the stuff that I like in order to make some imaginary worlds of my own? And it's right that they go out and ask questions, but the questions I hear or read are occasionally uh, closer to the question of this chapter heading Why can't I do this? Why shouldn't I do this? Uh, They ask, for example, uh, say they're trying to make a romance or trying to enjoy romance. Well, why can't I have this love scene or a scene with more than love going on or something besides love going on? What a lust scene. Okay. Why can't I have this magic system? Why shouldn't I enjoy this violence story? Uh, Why shouldn't I have a story uh, with this questionable belief about identity or God's nature or spiritual warfare? or things like that. Why shouldn't I? I must insist that I get a little nervous uh, when I hear someone say, why shouldn't I? Uh, You hear it almost in the question. I mean, unless you've recently asked it, if you you hear someone asking that, for example, in the background, I think your automatic assumption might be an accurate one. Uh, This is a person who is angry in some way, or at least frustrated. I mean, it could be a legitimate frustration. I understand. Uh, This is a person who is uh, being confrontational. Uh, The question presumes that it is pushing against some human authority. Why can't I do that? Why shouldn't I do that? And I think among at least people who've grown up evangelical or who've grown up Christian and who may have been sheltered from popular culture or movies or things like that, Uh, they're more apt to ask this question as they get older and they start discovering other ideas out there, maybe ideas they'd already been exposed to, but then their brains hit another developmental stage and they realize, oh, there was this idea all along and it seems brand new. And maybe their parents told them about it, you know, back in the fifth grade, uh, but it strikes them as new all over again. 
by the way, I think it's kind of funny when some Christians uh, hit this stage of rebellion and all they do is, for example, change denominations. You know, in some extreme cases, maybe they grew up in a, oh, a church that only believes in the King James Version and in pianos and organs in the Sunday worship. And their idea of rebellion is to go to the big mega church that uses the NIV and plays electric guitars. Uh, it's all on a scale there. Uh, I think some of this is a natural part of growing up. But what I see among Christian fantasy fans is they are asking these questions mainly about popular culture. Uh, a lot of them have grown up, you know, seeing G-rated movies, you know, Pixar movies, the, the old Pixar movies, uh, maybe some superhero movies, things like that. But now they may be going out there and seeing all the streaming options for the you know more hard R-rated stuff and asking, why can't I watch this show? Uh, why can't I watch this, uh, this, this depraved uh, superhero parody on Amazon? Uh, why can't I watch this uh, fantasy show on Netflix that shows the people getting naked? Why shouldn't I? I think it's a reaction. I think it's a reaction to evangelical subculture. I think it may be something that's unavoidable as you're growing up and figuring things out, like the purpose of popular culture and human imagination. Uh, but I think we have to call it a reaction. It is reactive, not proactive. And people are defending their rights. I think there's a subtle assumption in that question. I have a right to enjoy this story. I have a right to watch this show. This is about my freedom. Uh, and of course, the subject of that sentence is I, 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 me, me, me. That doesn't automatically mean it's wrong or evil. You shouldn't do that. Suppress it. You know, you should just be about God. Like, I understand people are trying to figure out who they are, who God has made them to be. Maybe your sentences start with I, 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 me, 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 at least for now. And yet it comes across as defensive and it comes across as kind of posturing, actually. I think maybe I'm just getting older. Uh, maybe it's of a, a result of trying my hand at parenting. But generally, there's a rule here that I've actually gained from, believe it or not, a shonen anime. I didn't even have this in my notes, but I just realized that this is my example here. Okay, so if you're familiar with anime and you watch a show, shonen's young men, basically. So shonen basically means young men anime it tends to be fantastical action hero oriented. It's what most people think of when they, you know, if you're, if you're a normie, if you don't watch anime, which I'm only, you know, partway into that a little bit, um, you, you may think that all anime is like this, you know, two guys fighting and they're all charging up with their superpowers and lights flashing and, you know, budgets are being cut. And you see a lot of people jumping in front of blurred backgrounds, shouting the names of their attacks. Generally there, there's a rule. I'm sure the Japanese have a name for it. There's a rule in these fights where if one guy in the fight is talking too much, uh, if he's taunting the hero, if he is saying, you know, there's no way you'll win, I'm more powerful, that attack won't work on me, uh, you know, what's wrong with your ancestors, what's wrong with your girlfriend, you know, any of that, uh, I destroyed your village, and so on, the fighter in anime who is talking the most is going to lose, almost certainly, almost certainly is going to lose. Uh, the idea is that the hero ought to be the one who is uh, balanced, uh, who has a healthy inner life, uh, who is fighting for his nakama uh, or his friendships, his close personal friendships, and not uh, born out of some negative virtue. Uh, the hero is going to talk some, but he's not going to talk as much as the villain. If the hero is quiet and just trying to access that super secret special attack uh, that he was training for off screen for years and years, uh, then the hero is not going to say much. I think in this case, and this is the point of that little story, in this case, the people who are saying, well, it's my rights, it's my freedom, mine, my mind, they're talking too much. Uh, they're trying to work things out, and they're kind of showing their work. They're asking questions, I think, some in good faith and some just defensively. 
And I have to admit, I do see that among Christian fans sometimes. Uh, They may be feeling very hurt by some of the rules or cultures that they grew up with. Now they're trying to work that stuff out. And they're trying to work it out by saying, I have the freedom to do this. I have the freedom to enjoy these stories. It is about my freedom. So that's really why I decided to talk about this today, not just because it was Independence Day in the United States, but because I've been thinking about this overall issue of freedom a lot. A lot of people claim that they have rights to do things they do not have. Of course, that goes back to a rather uh, already famous news story that broke late last month. We already had an episode kind of about that. So this is not about that, but it was part of the bubbling, as C.S. Lewis may have said, just part of the mix of ingredients that went into this topic. I think that my freedom, I think that why shouldn't I do this? Uh, these are the wrong questions to ask. And coming to the end of chapter one here of this discussion, I think we get the right questions to ask about freedom from where else would we say on fantastical truth? The Bible. We must ask more biblical questions. What is freedom? Who gets it? Why do we get it? Who is the most free? Who is the least free? And what is freedom for? So we'll explore those just a little bit in chapter two here. On the issue of freedom and its purpose, we have to let scripture, not our feelings, not our tragic backstory, and not the ideas of freedom that we pick up from popular culture. We must let scripture alone define our views of freedom, not just because we want to do it right and be good and holy, but because we will be happier. We understand the purpose of a gift. We are going to be happier using it. That's the point of stories. That's the point of imagination. And that's the point of freedom. All gifts of God, he alone gives us the terms on which we ought to use them. We're going to be happier if we follow him. Let's pause, however, and follow our second sponsor, Realm Makers. Once again, it's just a few weeks left until they do their 2022 conference. That's the one that is happening in Atlantic City, New Jersey from July 21st through 23rd. Here's their description for the 2022 conference. Are you excited to take the next step in your speculative fiction journey? This is not an actual trip to space or through time or a journey of self-discovery and forging your own sword, possibly to discover the meaning of freedom. No, join us instead for Realm Makers 2022. This is the 10th annual conference by that name, a conference for Christian creators, writers, and imaginary entrepreneurs. They will again offer the event in person, this time in Atlantic City, New Jersey, but also live online. So even if you have a travel limitation, maybe those gas prices you've been hearing about, or some other commitments closer to home, you can still see the Realm Makers teaching in real time. We did this in 2020 during the lockdowns, and now we're going to do it in 2022, but also meet in person. It's going to be amazing. Best of both worlds. Every class live streamed for virtual attendees. Whether you attend in Atlantic City or online, everyone who goes will have the chance to connect on the Realm Sphere. That is the dedicated conference space, an online community for Realm Makers members. Realm Makers this year is an amazing value because every attendee this time gets access to replays of every class. That's available also through the Realm Sphere. Let's say you have a manuscript you want to pitch. Like I said earlier, you're an aspiring author. You are figuring out the purpose of freedom and creativity and imagination, and you're working this out through a story that you think could find more readers than yourself and your friends. In that case, you can find an agent and an editor uh, participating at Realm Makers. Want to pitch that manuscript? You can do that at the conference, live or online. Get more information in our show notes for this episode, 120, or again, go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. 
All right, let's open up chapter two of this discussion. So just to review point one, let's not ask about creative imagination and storytelling. Why shouldn't I do this? What should we do instead? Instead, let's follow the Apostle Paul's wisdom about Christian freedom. That leads me to the book of Galatians, specifically chapter five. So just to recap, though, Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians. That's why it's called Galatians. It was a Galatian church. Paul wrote letters to all these churches, and Christians believe each letter was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's evidenced by the Apostle Paul's own words and the testimony of church history. It's good stuff in there, not just for the Galatians, though, but for any church or any individual that is struggling with legalism. Uh, just about every Christian now knows the idea of legalism. These are rules that teachers or your own heart or books you read or whatever somebody comes up with that are not in the Bible rules that are not in the Bible or rules that are in the Bible that someone says, hey, you got to do this rule or else you're not a good Christian. You got to do this rule or else even you're not saved. So for example, somebody will go back to the Old Testament and say, look, people who love God need to get circumcised. That's a particular physical tradition we're not going to go into here, relevant especially to men. You got to get circumcised or else you're not a really serious Christian. Uh, and these days, uh, I've actually encountered some people who literally believe this, uh, and they will say, well, you know, there's other reasons. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. It just means that you're not as a spiritual a Christian. You're not as serious about your faith, or you may be a carnal Christian, maybe on a lower tier of Christianity. Yes, you're going to heaven, of course, but I'm going there first. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's kind of the idea. And that is the idea of Galatians, is that the Apostle Paul is confronting what whom he calls the super apostles. Uh, these are uh, highfalutin uh, scholarly sorts. He calls them the Judaizers who came into the church in Galatia and said, you got to do this. You got to do this. Don't just follow the apostle Paul. Follow us too. Uh, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, join the church, all that good stuff. But you also need to follow these rules. They may be rules that were in the Old Testament or rules that they just made up as if they were in the Old Testament. Christians debate, what do you do with those rules now? But it's very clear that the apostle Paul said, no, the Judaizers are false teachers. Uh, and the Apostle Paul got pretty rowdy uh, in response to these guys and wrote a strongly worded letter to the church saying, in part, I am astonished that you are turning so quickly away from the gospel that I preached. They were falling deep into legalism. That's why the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. He is concerned that these people are being bewitched by the false teachers, that they are giving away their freedom. Freedom is a big concept in the book of Galatians. So it's not specific to fantasy fiction here, but there are other things that the Galatian believers are being forced to do that they don't have to do. And there's freedoms that they're being forced to give up that they don't have to give up. I remember resonating very strongly uh, when I read the book of Galatians, uh, trying to figure out, you know, stuff that I'd heard growing up, uh, just stuff that you absorb from the uh, Christian subculture around you, not even stuff that was taught to me by my parents or anywhere else. You just catch these ideas. Uh, even before the internet, they were just kind of floating in the air like memes. Meme teaching can be more powerful than a specific sermon where a preacher looks at you and says, you don't smoke and you don't play cards. Good Christians never do these things. You know, kind of this retro idea of legalism. Galatians really resonated with me. And I'm guessing it would resonate a lot with you if you have uh, experience with legalism or you've believed things that were in the Bible that turn out not to be in the Bible. Uh, a young Christian who is struggling with this you got to read Galatians. Absolutely read it from the very top. Understand the background of it. 
uh, understand how you're supposed to read it, uh, make sure that you're reading it in context, and make sure that you understand uh, some of the background that the Apostle Paul was speaking into, uh, way beyond the brief summary that I've done here just from memory. As I said, freedom is a big issue in Galatians, and yet I notice in this verse, verse 13, which I'll read it again in, in a moment, the Apostle Paul does not insist on enjoying freedom apart from deeper goals. So what I mean is this, okay, here's a church that has been captured by these anti-freedom ideas. I notice the Apostle Paul does not go into this swords blazing saying, no guys, freedom. It's all about freedom, man. Get rid of the man, man. You know, you need to go out there and be free. It's all about freedom in Jesus, man. You know, he's not that overemphasizing of freedom. Freedom is powerful. And I, I think he could have done that. But you see here a balanced expression in Galatians 5.13 and in surrounding verses. So let's pick up, uh, just summarize the first part of Galatians 5, the whole chapter. The Apostle Paul starts in verse 1 saying, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So that's actually a pretty rah-rah expression of freedom right there. Stand firm, be bold, be courageous. Not you do you. But he says, you are not called to be a slave. You are called to be free. He then goes on to talk specifically about circumcision. If you accept that notion, Christ is of no use to you. You'd be cut off from Christ, fallen away from grace. Keep running well. Who hindered you, he says, from obeying the truth? He uses some other metaphors there. And then he says in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love, serve one another. And from there, he goes on to say things like in verse 16, it gets a little bit more of a tone of warning here. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on to describe the works of the flesh. A lot of terms here. It's one of those famous sin lists in the epistles in the New Testament. And he says in verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and lists the famous fruit of the spirit. So I hope I don't sound like I'm preaching here. Earth too, Stephen may be a preacher. I'm just an author, speaker, and all the rest of it. Uh, but I do get enthused about this because I love it when scripture is just so balanced uh, as opposed to some of the imbalance I see in flawed human beings, uh, even Christian leaders who may be coming out of too much legalism or too much license, and then they kind of uh, make a whole ministry platform based on one or the other and assume that the other guys will take care of the balance the other way. In this case, the Apostle Paul doesn't do that. Uh, he, of all people, grew up a Pharisee. Uh, he could have really, really resonated with this all things are about freedom message. But instead, after admittedly four or five chapters, he takes a moment to push back the other way and go, hey, not too much freedom, but this is the point of freedom. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So that, there's, there's the opposites there. Opportunity for the flesh versus loving service to one another. That's the point of freedom. That's why we ask why God gave us the freedom. Paul does not insist on enjoying freedom apart from the deeper goals. He knows that there's a deeper goal for freedom. And there are many reasons that God has given us this gift. I think there's a few that we could go over here uh, that the Apostle Paul touches on, but does not specifically say. 
Uh, first off, I always like going back to Genesis, uh, the reason that God has made people that you get hinted at throughout all the rest of the Bible. This is why systematic theology is so helpful, a biblical anthropology, a biblical study of people, uh, man's nature. We are made in God's image, and God is free. In fact, he is the most powerful being of all, and as a result, God's freedom pones everyone else's freedom. He is infinitely free. You can't even say really he's limited by his own nature. He is free in his own nature. He's free to be consistent. He is free to fulfill his own promises. He is free to be absolutely good, pure, holy, righteous, just, beautiful, and self, self-sufficient. Uh, he is freest of all. God is freest of all. And yet we are made in God's image. So we are obviously not freest of all. That would overthrow God, but we do have some freedom. We do have some meaningful choice. Calvinists, Arminians, you can go over there in the corner and hash that out amongst yourselves. And in a moment, I may join you, but not yet, not now. Uh, The point is, is that our freedom is meaningful, but it cannot be absolute because God's freedom is absolute. But we have a little freedom that kind of mimics God's freedom, but it is not absolute. I think that's at the back of Paul's thinking here. Freedom is what Christ has called us for, but the freedom is for a purpose. Freedom is powerful, and yet we know that we ought not have unlimited power because it corrupts absolutely and all the rest of it. The Apostle Paul does want people to experience freedom, but uh, we might uh, borrow from that uh, the quote from Uncle Ben, at least the original Spider-Man version, with great freedom comes great responsibility. Freedom is powerful, and yet it also brings great responsibility. I was thinking about this more thanks to July the 4th, as I mentioned at the top of the show. And switching back to the July the 4th theme, I think people even now are constantly debating uh, those two seeming opposites, freedom, powerful freedom versus responsibility. I mean, I'm with Uncle Ben. He's not the Bible, but with Uncle Ben, he says, with great power comes great responsibility. And I, yet I think it is a biblical idea. With great power or great freedom comes great responsibility. You cannot have one without the other. You ought not want to have one without the other. If you want to have power or freedom without responsibility, then you are still, I think, in your sin. You are still, in a sense, enslaved because you are not been set free for the purpose for which God has called you. The very idea of being a human is to be free, but under God, free within God's freedom to do as you will. And yet God is the one who has to change your will because we are made for absolute happiness. Our will should support absolute happiness and only in God will there be absolute happiness. But people are constantly trying to use their freedom to find happiness in some other way. And as a result, uh, they end up, I think, sounding uh, rebellious because they seem to think that they'll be happy by pushing against something, uh, by rebelling against something, by raising a fist Uh, and asking why not instead of why, or why shouldn't I instead of why should I, which I think is a more biblical question. Spoiler alert for chapter three of this discussion. Yeah, I kind of want to come up with an example here, uh, but I think I really should just keep it to fantasy. Um, The only example I can think of that may be uncontroversial is the freedom to drive Uh, in the United States. uh, Usually when you turn 16 to 18, it's different in each of the 50 states. Uh, You get a student learner's permit. And then you work your way towards earning this freedom. It's not just given to you by virtue of existing. You have to earn it. You have to show that you can be responsible with this freedom. 
And a lot of people, you know, they'll maybe take three steps forward and then fall two steps back because they'll have an accident. Uh, or in my case, they won't pass their, uh, you know, their driver's exam uh, the very first time, as I thought had to happen, right? Because that was the rules, right? Uh, except that I didn't drive the car right. I didn't show that I had earned this responsibility. I had to prove that because I'm not just an autonomous, pun unintended, uh, person uh, in a world all to myself to drive a car. Uh, freedom entails the responsibility of living with other people and getting on the road with other drivers. Uh, even after I think you prove yourself a responsible driver, you still have some responsibilities under the law that everybody has gotten together and decided upon. Uh, you can't own a vehicle without also getting uh, vehicle insurance with it in the United States. I wonder if it's the same in other countries. I'd be curious to find out for any of our international or at least outside the United States listeners. That's a responsibility you have to kind of share the costs of potential damage or accidents or health care. Uh, as a result of driving on the road. Should that change? Well, I don't know. If enough people got together, I suppose you could change that. But I, for one, am happy with the system. It seems like a perfectly fair trade. Okay, I don't have to buy car insurance just by driving a car. But if I own a car, that car itself has to be insured. That's the responsibility. Uh, the freedom has to come with the responsibility. You cannot have one without the other. I think that's why people are constantly debating uh, where these lines are in society, though. Uh, too much freedom, too much responsibility. We know we've got to have one with the other, but how do you balance between them? I think people can debate these things, and I think Christian fantasy fans can debate these things, uh, particularly among the author community. Uh, sometimes I see aspiring authors um, disclaim the idea that they have responsibility for their readers. Uh, they've gotten a hold of creative freedom. Uh, they're trying to put a story together and work out the magic system and try to figure out how many acts of violence they can portray. Uh, some people may go very far in the direction of using swear words in their manuscript. Well, I'm free to do that, they may say. This is how people really talk, they may say. A um, couple of years ago, by the way, uh, you can actually find it in our podcast archives. It was one of our first few dozen episodes we did in summer 2020. Uh, it was a recording from a Realmakers conference where I was on a panel with some uh, Christian fantasy authors. And two of them, well, see, there was a special guest, uh, and it was sort of Shannara, 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 she, she, she wrote a Honda. I, I don't know. It's, it's not my fandom. I'm sorry, Terry Brooks. I haven't read it yet, even though I did buy the book and got it signed. And you are a very wonderful gentleman. I haven't read it yet. If you're listening uh, anyway, Terry Brooks was on the panel and uh, so was another author and Terry Brooks, uh, I think was not a specifically confessing Christian there, uh, but author Brent Weeks is, and he had some great things to say in his keynotes, but Brent Weeks, oddly enough, writes these giant uh, you know, kind of noble, dark looking fantasy novels, you know, with, you know, 8,000 uh, pages and apparently a whole lot of bad words in there. And Brent Weeks gave the explanation, well, this is how people really talk. And, you know, so I'm using the F-bomb a lot. And then I go through and, you know, me and my editor cut out maybe two thirds of those, I guess, because people don't use the F-bomb that much. I mean, it depends on where you go. Anyway, so that was Brent Weeks's view as a, a professing Christian. And I think he is a, is a Christian. It was very clear from his keynotes. I haven't met him, though. And Terry Brooks said, yeah, but this is fiction. You don't write fiction exactly like people talk. There is creativity. There's stylizing. And if you are just regressing to the mean of using these words all the time, uh, then I don't think you have to do that. You do not absolutely have to do that. Uh, and I frankly am team Terry Brooks on this one. It's taken me a while to figure that out. But apart from the warnings in scripture against vulgar language, which you may try to do an end run around by saying, 
well, this is how people really talk. And, you know, if I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that bad word, it's the character who's saying that bad word. Okay. But words can be contagious and also behavior can actually bring about some of the bad attitudes that are associated with that behavior. In my case, I actually have to avoid bad words because using bad words makes me feel justified in my anger. So even if, even if I say a bad word out loud and I'm not feeling angry at the time, uh, if I keep doing that without stopping, uh, then eventually I'm going to feel like my mouth is endorsing the anger in my heart. And that is not a biblical place to be. Uh, I am again acting defensively. I am acting from a posture of why should I, why well, shouldn't I? Uh, this is my freedom. I ought to be able to do this. I ought to be able to feel this way. Uh, and yet I, I don't think that's a very wise place to be. So Christian fantasy fans ought to be debating these things. But I think we ought to take it back to that scriptural parameter. What is Christian freedom? Why do we get it? What is it for? We ought not to ask, why shouldn't I do this? We ought to ask, why should I do this? And in that case, for example, just taking the example of bad words, I think we at least ought to ask the question, why should this word be here? Which, by the way, for Christian creators ought to be what we're asking if we are making anything anyway. You don't add excess words just to fill out the word count, for example. That's kind of author speak. I hope you all don't mind. But every word ought to have a purpose. Every act ought to have a purpose. Yes, that is a high calling. But it's not just for the purpose of clear communication or does the story need it. Uh, it is for the purpose of glorifying God through the story. I do believe that Christian storytellers do have responsibility that accompanies their freedom. Uh, and if you're a new Christian fan figuring this out or a Christian who's trying his hand at stories, you know, maybe you're going to Realm Makers, for example, uh, I think you need to embrace that freedom as Christ has given it, but also embrace the responsibility that comes with it. And I think Christians of goodwill can figure that out and can debate that amongst themselves. I will presume that one of those great Christian authors who has figured out that biblical balance between biblical freedom and responsibility is our third sponsor for this episode. That is author P.S. Patton. His novel, The Withering, is coming out July 26, and this is the back cover of that new book. Quote, Their world has reached its end. The fight for their future has only just begun. The moon will soon collide with the surface of Nolaro, and three orphaned teens have nothing left in the world but each other. As the apocalypse threatens to end all life on their world, Crow is desperate to protect his little brother and secure a future for themselves, while Jima falls captive to her dark past. A sardonic traveling magician offers them a way off their dying world, but at what cost? Their search for an escape will force them to face questions of flesh versus spirit, natural life versus eternal life, and physical death versus spiritual death. Family, faith, and courage are at the heart of this end-of-the-world adventure. End quote. That was the back cover. And here is an endorsement from Shana Dow, who's the author of the Keepers of the Balance series. The endorsement says, quote, The Withering is a compelling story set against a stark dystopian landscape. Patton has put together a gripping scenario that combines suspense, intrigue, and a truly likable cast of characters to cheer on. End quote. That sounds indeed cheerable for me, and I really like those verses statements there, the verses, phrases at the end of the back cover description. You can find the whole thing, plus the purchase link for The Withering, which is coming out July 26, at our show notes for episode 120, right at the top. Of course, you can always go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors to see all of the sponsor details 
in one place. Now finishing up with chapter three, based on this truth, I think that Christian fans should ask, why should I enjoy this thing? Why should I enjoy this story, this creative imagination? Why should I? It's about should, not shouldn't. Note the switch from the negative, why shouldn't I, to the positive, why should I? I think we've got enough negative stuff going on in our world. At least we try to uh, clean that out of here for the podcast. We'd always try to be more positive. At Lorehaven, for example, we don't do negative reviews. Uh, any book that we review has to be mixed positive or higher. Uh, if we didn't like a book or we weren't able to review it for some other reason, you're not going to read the review. Uh, I don't mean that we ought not have negative reviews ever anywhere. I just mean that's not what Lorehaven is doing. And so we are trying to emphasize the positive point here. And I think that this is organic in scripture. Uh, please understand, though, I think, especially if you're a Christian, as I mentioned earlier, uh, who's maybe grown up in a conservative subculture, a church or a youth group or family or some other ministry environment, or maybe even a college or university, maybe you've grown up in a culture that did have a lot of unbiblical rules. Maybe you had some Judaizers going on, not trying to run around and get everybody circumcised necessarily, but I have heard tales, and you probably have too, uh, for example, the Christian university where in the current year, uh, you couldn't even bring, uh, you know, CDs from the newsboys onto campus. You know, uh, you had to smuggle them in with a uh, different uh, liner art in the CD cases uh, for younger listeners. By the way, uh, CDs were physical objects that carried uh, digital information, generally music, and were accompanied by print material, often including the lyrics for the songs so that no one actually had to go on the Internet and look up the lyrics. You just got them from the CD itself. Very strange like a miniature vinyl. Uh, I think vinyl is coming back, but that's beside the point. Point is that there are a lot of rules that people still remember growing up dealing with. And so I think it might make sense for you at one point, at least to go through the phase of asking, why shouldn't I? Especially if the answers you get from more uh, biblically rational persons is here's why you shouldn't, or well, actually you can, and here's why, but check your motives, check your motives before you do that thing. Why should you? I think you need to ask the question. If you do, why shouldn't I, in order to move past that phase, it is a phase you're, we would be like a, a child who's just learning to probe deeper to in the right way, question authority and practice rhetoric, but it is a phase you don't end there. Now, this is not the final, <laughs> the final stage of your development. Let's go back to the point I was making earlier, kind of using the terms freedom and power uh, interchangeably, mainly just so I could get in that Uncle Ben quote that I like a lot. I think a lot of people who've grown up in these, uh, in these more legalistic environments, I think we have issues with power. And I'm, I'm uh, trying to be careful about this one uh, and not just project my own experience on there. I think we have seen power being abused by human authorities, whether it's a pastor or even a parent or a ministry leader or something like that. Uh, I think some of this response comes from uh, the experience of seeing power being abused. I think though, that if we respond to that defensively for too long, and we start asking, why shouldn't I? I have my freedom. I think we actually end up perpetuating that cycle of power abuse. Now, I don't mean we're abusers, you know, like the kind of thing that would uh, get you rightfully canceled or maybe even disciplined under uh, the civil law, I, I mean more like spiritual abuse, uh, maybe even uh, emotional abuse. I, I see a lot of professing Christian leaders, for example, uh, who are trying to be church influencers. Uh, and it's very clear to me that they've had maybe a legit tragic backstory 
but they are using their platform to commit abuses of power. Um, I won't say who it was, but I saw a guy the other day who I, I kind of respected a bit, uh, just yelling at somebody and uh, saying, go away. And, you know, just, just being very, very upset. Uh, of course, social media brings this sort of thing out of us. And I think that that, even that can betray uh, a wrongful expression of freedom. Uh, it's an abuse of power uh, to treat somebody like that in public, even if they're annoying you, even if they're an actual enemy, you are then commanded by Christ to love your enemy. Uh, and I know we've seen it being abused and, and I think maybe that, okay, well, that person is abusing their power. So I get to abuse power right back. Well, that's a cycle of power abuse. And that's not something that Christians ought to be doing. Uh, our response ought to be born, not from power or my freedom, but powerful love. And I think that's what the apostle Paul is emphasizing in Galatians 5, 13. He is saying, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. You do not feed your flesh with your freedom. You find opportunities to love. You are made for more than just resisting authorities, you know, fighting the man, correcting the false teachers, challenging the bad system. You were instead made to join a good system, to embrace your God, the source of all good power, power himself. Uh, that's what you were made to do as not just a Christian fan, but as a Christian and as a human being. But as Christian fans, uh, we ought to intuit this idea from our stories, even if not from the Bible, because a lot of our favorite stories actually show examples of embracing the good, not just fighting the bad. If it's a good versus evil story, like, for example, the Lord of the Rings, the hobbits are reluctantly drawn into this epic war versus the Dark Lord Sauron. Uh, they're not in the war to keep fighting the war and basically be hobbit mercenaries along with the elves and the dwarves and the men. They will do their duty. They will fight the Dark Lord. They will destroy the ring. And then they will go back home to the Shire. And then they will enjoy their freedom the rest of their lives. And freedom with continuing responsibility, however. It was just a mega expression of responsibility that they had to help uh, take down a dark lord. The point, however, is that they are escaping themselves. They're not about themselves. They're not about fighting the man for its own sake. The point is, if you have to fight the man, if you have to fight the bad guys, the point is to defeat the bad guys and then find happiness. And like a hobbit, your point is also to join your fellow travelers even along the way, but especially after the victory is won in feasting and storytelling. Uh, there's a whole motif in scripture, which I love to see. I mean, there's not a whole lot of people in the Bible sitting around telling stories to each other. Instead, you just read the stories they told to, uh, to each other, especially the true records, for example, from the golden age of Israel, when David and Solomon and all of them had a bunch of record keepers running around collecting the stories and preserving the histories of the golden age. But you see people feasting and celebrating. And I especially like the book of Ruth, which has a lot of feasting and celebrating going on. So basically my rule here is that if the Bible is talking about food or feasting or things like that, I will also apply that to the ideas of creative imagination because these are gifts that God has given humans all at once to help make stuff using God's stuff back there in the book of Genesis. And again, that idea of feasting and imagination means that you are made for more, uh, not to serve yourself, but to embrace God and also to serve other people. I notice here that the Apostle Paul, I mean, he has already talked about serving God. He's already talked about obeying God as God has defined himself and his law. But the Apostle Paul is saying, you're called to freedom. Do not use that freedom to indulge yourself. 
your point as a human being, as part of Christ's church, being redeemed to be a faithful human being is to serve other people in love. Imagine eating a feast alone. Well, you probably won't eat alone if it's too quiet that way. You'll probably watch TV or something like that. You'll be very lonely. Instead, God has made us to enjoy feasting with others. That's an image that's constant throughout Scripture, all the way up to the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of the book of Revelation. One of the most awesome images in all of Scripture. Just imagine that banquet hall. Uh, Similarly, imagine enjoying a story alone. I mean, sometimes, especially for an introverted reader, it's fun just to retreat into a room, shut the door, maybe put on a little music, something like that, uh, and then just plunge into the world of the story. Uh, That's not a sin. Uh, That's something you can enjoy freely. I think that is a gift of God. But there's also something to be said for going along the journey with other people. Join others in a quest through that book. That's what we're trying to do in the Lorehaven Guild. Yes, another pitch for the Lorehaven Guild. Right now, right now we're doing a Fantasties, the book by George MacDonald. I think you're going to love it, but I frankly am a little bit behind and I need to get caught up. Join others in that quest. Uh, God has made us to love and serve one another, not just use our freedom for the indulgence of our flesh. Real quick, I had a few examples that I wrote down uh, of stories that I've been enjoying lately or stories that you may be familiar with that kind of serve to illustrate this principle. Uh, Two of them are kind of rather common. Uh, The first one is, of course, the real story that we experience as members of a family or a church or even just a group of friends, a college class, a Sunday school, something like that. Uh, Any group of these is already practicing the ideas of freedom and responsibility all at once. Uh, just as you would see that uh, in a fictional team up of uh, diverse heroes in any other story. Uh, Everybody likes, of course, uh, the Avengers, uh, the uh, top super team franchise. Of course, I'm also partial to the uh, Justice Leaguers, uh, kind of the original superhero team up, Batman and the Flash and Superman and Wonder Woman and all of them. Uh, You see these people coming together and using their power, using the freedom that their power gives them, for responsible ends Uh, overall you know unless it's a alternate dimension where somebody goes evil or something like that they are trying to balance this and this is a secular story that's showing power being used responsibly and of course spider-man from whom i get the quote uh, with great power comes great responsibility spider-man must learn that he has this power not to indulge his flesh and not to jump into the wrestling ring and beat up other people for cash to impress his girlfriend Uh, He ought to be out there on the streets. He ought to be trying to stop the villains and the supervillains. I think that's why we resonate so hard with that story. And in fact, I think that even if God did not have his law, he could use stories like that one, even like the uh, simple man-made story of Spider-Man to convict others. (laughs) Just imagine people who went out there loving the Spider-Man movies and then took their great power and used it irresponsibly. The righteous judge on his throne, we know, will be opening up the books of Scripture But in theory, he could also open up a comic book and say, hey, my capital L law notwithstanding, you didn't even follow the fake made up law that you said you liked so much of the Spider-Man mythos Uh, away with you. Uh, I think that that's going to be a bit of a surprise for people to find out that God's law was uh, kind of echoed in a lot of the stories we say we like. But the main story I'm thinking of that I really appreciate uh, seeing uh, freedom mixed with responsibility is actually a video game that my wife and I have been playing the last several months called Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, It's actually the second in a series of games that stars a a woman named Aloy, who's like a a member of a native tribe in the far future. I don't know who's far future quite yet. All we know is that there's a lot of tribes around and there's a lot of robotic animals around and only a few small creatures around. 
the whole purpose of the game is not only to train in combat and solve a mystery and all that sort of thing, uh, but to figure out what exactly has led to the conditions of this world. What's all these creatures doing around? How did everybody end up in tribes? What is the meaning of all the ruins of the old ones that have been left behind, like skyscrapers and cars and things like that? In the second game, I was very pleasantly surprised uh, to find out that the heroine of the game named uh, Aloy uh, is trying to do the whole lonely hero thing. Uh, she is kind of sneaking off from her friends. She's feeling very withdrawn after winning the huge boss battles at the end of the first game, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, and at one point, just before the opening credits, uh, she sneaks away uh, from the city of Meridian and uh, rides her a robo steed uh, off into the sunset. And it's glorious and really beautifully animated and really, really awesome scene. But at the same time, it's kind of tinged with melancholy. She's abandoning her friends. What's going on? Well, she's feeling kind of lonely. She's feeling overburdened with the next fate of the world. Uh, the, uh, the, the woman cannot catch a break. And so she is distancing herself from her friends. She knows she has great power uh, with the focus device that she has on her head that enables her to interface with technology in ways that nobody else can. But she has taken that power and not selfishly. I think she's trying to be selfless, but she's decided, no, this, this is my quest. This is my journey. She's doing the lonely hero thing. And if this were a lesser game, I think that the storytellers would have just let it stand. You know, you go, girl, you go save the world. You don't need anybody. You know, you got the power, you got the freedom. Uh, you're more special than everybody else. The game doesn't do that, but the game also doesn't go out of its way to say, no, Aloy, you ought not be a strong, independent woman who don't need no NPC. You need your friends. Instead, it's just very subtle in bringing them all of these awesome side characters back into her life whether she wants it or not they're constantly showing up they're constantly rescuing her and they're just being there for her to support her now there's the flaw of course it's a video game uh, they're all npcs and she's the only pc the playable character uh, you know this is still a universe that's been built around her and her story whereas real life is very different you know everybody plays their own characters in real life and there are no npcs in real life uh, all the mean jokes aside there are no npcs in real life but I still appreciate the message. Uh, you feel like these are other real people and they, you feel like this is their story as much as hers, even if you're only playing her. And you feel the impact of them coming around her, uh, supporting her, uh, bringing her back to her responsibility, which is not just to save the world, uh, but also to help train other people to use this technology, to share the secrets that she's learned, to use her great power for great responsibility not just to save the world, but to build a community. And I was just thrilled when you unlock a new game mechanic, like a few hours into the main campaign and you realize, oh, we're going to get a base here. We're going to get a, a base that is kind of a mechanic missing from the first game. And every once in a while, as part of the main quest, I'm going to come back to the base. I'm going to get new supplies. I'm going to talk to everybody. It opens up new dialogue trees and it's just really fun. And you get maybe a taste of that fulfillment of the joy of that responsibility. It's not just a burden. In fact, it is very unburdening, ironically enough, to accept that responsibility because now you are aligning with the universe that God has made. You are fulfilling your human nature. You're not just trying to gratify the desires of your sinful flesh, even for very good, noble reasons. Uh, you are trying to love and serve one another out of obedience to Christ and a desire to be happy forever in him. 
Anyway, that was one example. You can probably think of others. Uh, you can probably think of real life examples from your own stories or the stories of your friends trying to figure out freedom versus responsibility, trying to figure out how this applies to fantasy geeky stories, and maybe even stuff you're trying to create, uh, hopefully born out of why should I statements instead of why shouldn't I statements. Act more proactively there, I think, and less, less defensively. And best of all, we get to do this together. Uh, we get to pursue this quest together, trying to figure this all out, not for our own pleasure, but for the end for which God has created us. That our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, not just to beat bad guys, not just to enjoy our own freedom. Our life's mission is not just rebellion or freedom for its own sake. Our life's mission, including all the fantastic stories that we enjoy, is eternal happiness in Jesus Christ. Well, I hope that went well for a solo journey there. I definitely felt I was preaching there for a bit, but this is not a sermon. This is like a really topical thing. Uh, definitely, you can get better stuff from your local church. So I want to make that point very clear. Let me know what you think. Uh, and first, let's go stop by the comm station, actually. Just open the automatic doors here. There's a few messages that backed up over the transom. Uh, most of them actually were about our episode 118 and that's the one that we did a few weeks back about stories that celebrate human life. Oddly enough, we were feeling like celebrating human life a couple of weeks ago. Imagine why. A one hero of the guild remarked about that episode. as She said, quote, Way back when I was a little girl, I heard the original Tilly audio drama as a rerun. Loved it. I can still vividly remember its twists and emotional impact. Prophet is one of my favorite books. The insights into the news media have served me well, and the supernatural elements are so cool. Also, even if Peretti himself now critiques his use of the abortion issue, I found that it gave me an empathy for those who are on the other side. End quote. Really appreciate thy thought, O hero. Um, I, I have to reluctantly disagree with Peretti there and agree with you that I think Prophet is still a really good book. It does help with the empathy, but it also helps with the challenge. Uh, there's a lot of themes of, you know, freedom versus responsibility in there. That's for sure. Uh, certainly tied up with that whole issue of life and choosing life. I have not heard Tilly. I still haven't heard it. I need to get the book, but oddly enough, I don't think I've seen that. You'd think by now, especially now, I would have seen like ads all over the place, even for a more retro uh, audio drama. But now I want to go uh, listen to that audio drama so that I too can vividly remember its twists and emotional impact. Here's another feedback from a hero of the guild. Uh, she shared another life celebrating story that she found. I had not heard of this one. Maybe you have. She says, quote, I have been rereading the 27th Protector series, which is about girls trained to infiltrate the neighboring republic and rescue pregnant women and unwanted children. Whoa. All the babies are made in labs. And if you have any kind of defect, they say you can't experience life properly and are considered unnecessary. Brief pause. Well, that's not fiction. That's just the eugenics movement, which a lot of people are trying to bring back. I say, stop trying to make eugenics happen. Stop trying to make it a thing. It's not going to be a thing. Or if it is going to be a thing, it's going to be evil all over again. Anyway, resuming, she says, the third book especially deals with a lot of questions of who to save. They had missed some important information that might let them save more lives, but the protagonist ends up realizing that chasing after that information means that children she rescued would be dead instead. Do you save the person right in front of you, or do you find a way to bring down the whole system that is killing them? It's also a story about love. Love needs to be why they're doing this rescuing. If we hate our enemies more than those we're trying to save, 
we're going to end up making some bad decisions, end quote. Another guild pitch. This just illustrates why you need to join the guild. You get wisdom like this. You can join the guild in a means that I'll describe here in just a moment. Uh, if you have any thoughts about this show or any of our other podcasts, anything else at Lorehaven, of course, tag us on the socials. Find us at Lorehaven. Leave a comment. Uh, tell a friend about this podcast. Uh, maybe they're not even a fantasy fan. Maybe I managed to make this episode, for example, uh, more crossover than I intended to. And you know, might apply to somebody who's just trying to figure out on what day they celebrate the Sabbath or something like that. Uh, maybe that'll be helpful. I don't know. I certainly could have used this about 15 years ago or something like it. Uh, also subscribe free to Lorehaven. Uh, that's how you get all of our good stuff, all of the updates that we come out with every week. And you'll get features like this one. Meanwhile, at Lorehaven, I think I mentioned this earlier, uh, we have started our book quest in the Lorehaven Guild community, which is exclusively on Discord. We do a new book quest every month, and our most recent one is for George MacDonald's classic fairy romance for men and women called Fantasties. I need to catch up on this one, but you can catch up anytime as well. Join for free. All you got to do is subscribe to Lorehaven. Just go to lorehaven.com, enter your email in the box that pops up at the bottom, and you will get the super secret access code to portal in to the guild, and then you can also customize what updates you receive from Lorehaven, new articles, news, reviews, podcasts, things like that. Speaking of reviews, uh, recently we've shared two new reviews since the last time we checked in here. Uh, one is of a book called The Governess of Greenmere, and another one just published this past Friday is called Jabberwock's Curse. A little bit more Alice in Wonderland energy going on there in our reviews. A new Christian-made fantasy reviews arrive every Friday, and you can include those in your free subscription at Lorehaven. Next week, Lord Willing and editor, myself at this point working, articles return. Didn't mean to take a hiatus from articles. We just did while we were retooling some things uh, behind the scenes. I think our first one will be by Josiah DeGraff, and I think he's actually going to name check a phrase that I may have invented. I'm not sure. Don't be a support zombie, Josiah says. A little tease for that article. I've already glimpsed at it. Can't wait to read it. Uh, it's about how you can support Christian-made fantasy without turning into a support zombie who just supports it because it's Christian. We don't want to do that. We only want to support good stuff. And Josiah has some great tips that he's going to share with us in an article. Should be posting uh, later this week. Again, Lord willing, later this month uh, after we publish that article. I'm actually heading out for the Realm Makers Conference. We keep pitching as a part of the sponsors here on the podcast. Yet, again, Lord willing, the episodes of the podcast will continue. Uh, Zach and I have been working a little over time to make sure uh, that we hit every single Tuesday release slot. You should be able to get a new episode featuring Zach and I just next Tuesday. Oh, which accidentally segues me perfectly into next on Fantastical Truth. So this one may sound a little familiar. We ended up bumping this topic for the uh, Celebrate Life episode, but let's do this one for real this time. No, really. This month, we've been talking a lot about science fiction. Perhaps to be fair, this fall, we'll focus more on dragons and knights and magic and things like that, just to be fair. Once more with feeling, here is a topic we have postponed for a while, summarized by this simple question. If we as Christians believe that Jesus will come back to judge all people and rule this planet in person, what about the spaceships? What about the space travelers? What about the colonists on Mars? If Jesus returns to Earth, touches down in Jerusalem or wherever it is, what happens to people who are not on the Earth? 
Well, next week, we will explore these possible prophetic conundrums and speculate on a few solutions. Meanwhile, I can't think of a better way to close, but with a rather benediction-like repetition of the key verse of this show, Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another as we keep seeking and finding Jesus's fantastical truth. <laughs>